Awesome. What's up, everyone? What's up? Thank you guys for joining. Guys, I'm Dom, and this is the Cash Geeks Network. And tonight, we are going to be on with Lee Carney. Now, Gonzalo is not with me right now, but he will be jumping in maybe within the next 15 or 20 minutes or so. Uh, but in the meantime, we are going to go in. Now, Lee Carney does not need really any kind of intro. He is a massive performer in the real estate space. Most of you probably already know him. He's one of my first mentors as I got into real estate, and it's my pleasure to bring him on. So Warren, can you shoot him on in? Mr. Lee, you with us? I'm here. Awesome, Lee. Well, Lee, once again, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it, man, for giving us your time. And from what I understand, you're in Ireland. And what time is it out there right now? It is 2 a.m. It's 2 a.m. So why why are you <laughs> so I appreciate it, but why are you giving us your time at 2 a.m.? I know you're super busy. You have so much to do. Um, where does that energy come from? Well, it comes from a I think a commitment to being to your commitments, right? Something we talked about before the show. So I'd actually told you guys I would do this before I realized I need to come to Ireland for a medical emergency. But like I told you before the interview, I feel like it's important in business when you commit to doing something, you do it. You always show up unless you physically can show up and I physically can show up. So here I am, you know, I have no problem doing this. I, I think it just, the way you approach something like this is the same way you approach your business nine to five, which is the same way you approach your relationships, which is the same way you approach your health. I mean, it's, you're either committed or you're not. And people are usually consistent in all areas of their, all areas of their life, either for the good or for the bad. So. That's amazing. Well, once again, I'm honored to have you on, Lee. Um, I've known you for about four to five years now. Um, you're one of my, if not my very first mentor in the real estate space. I know that when we first engaged with you, Gonzalo actually won a contest um, with Francis and Brian. They had some kind of contest as to where he won access to one of kind of like a high level elite weekend training that you had going on with regards to wholesaling and and flipping at a high level and, and all these different systems and processes. And it was super eye-opening, very exciting for us because we just started our wholesaling business back at that time. And then we were, we were, um, we made a decision at that point to join one of the masterminds that you had going on where we were able to engage with you throughout the entire year. And that really had a huge impact on us and our business. So once again, thanks a lot for doing this. We're truly honored. And, uh, most people out there probably know you, especially the people tuning in. But if you don't mind, can you just give, you know, uh, just a, a quick background on, on who you are and how you got started, not only in real estate, but, but in the entrepreneurial spectrum? Sure, absolutely. So I would say, actually, now that you just asked that question, my entrepreneurial spectrum goes way back to my childhood. And as my father is approaching, you know, the end of his time, I think about all the lessons he's taught me. And I can remember asking my dad as a kid, gosh, I must have been five years old. I said, Dad, what's business? My dad said, well, you you buy low and you sell high. And I, so I started asking more questions. I said, okay. I said, so tell me more. He goes, well, we buy a product and then we sell it for more money. And I said, so here, I actually was really proud of the question I asked. I said, mm. why don't they just buy it? the same place you're buying he goes they don't know how to do what i do and i said okay and what's funny you think about real estate you think about wholesaling which is really what you and gonzalo has got have gotten all in on mm -hmm. that's really what you get paid for 
you get sure. paid for just handing people deals, right? So they don't they don't have to find them. So I was intrigued. I was intrigued that my dad could buy a product and then sell the exact same thing for more money. And so I was hooked in business at an early age. I remember I would <clears throat> do cut grass. That was my big thing. So I was introduced as a friend that made 150 pounds a day cutting grass. I'm like, this is insane. People aren't even earning this in a week. So I had a really early interest in business, went to college, um, worked all the summers with my father, really learned a lot of part about manufacturing, learned a lot about, you know, production, learned a lot about sales, um, learned a lot about construction. So I really got a good from those summer, those summer uh, jobs. I really got a good immersion in business. So got out of college, went back to Ireland. I was going to college in the States, went back to run my father's company, realized that wasn't going to work out. My first job with him was my real job was industrial sales, crushed it. But what I loved about sales and what I tell everybody out there, sales is the best way to learn how to deal with people, which is the core. If you have a seller direct model in real estate, you might as well go home. If you don't think you're in the sales business, you think you're in a real estate business, go home you're, or redirect your thinking and realize you're in a sales business. And so very, very thankful for that background. And so I uh, went back to the States, got my master's. Then I, during that time, when I was in Ireland, I bought and sold a house by accident, made more money than my job by flipping a house I didn't like. So I decided while in college, I was gonna start flipping houses. So I did that in California in 2004, moved to Florida in 2005, Start asking a lot of questions. By the way, guys, there's no dumb questions. When you don't know, you don't know. So don't be afraid to ask, which is why I never make fun of people asking me questions in real estate. So started buying at the foreclosure auctions, and the rest is history. Made a bunch of money uh, through, through 2007. That's when the next chapter of my life starts. I lost everything. So I became a kingpin in two years, literally millions of dollars, 25 years old, You know, thought I was invincible. Then the market shifted. Got completely wiped out, had to rebuild it. Coincidentally, did that through wholesaling, then started buying and holding again, really back into a full fix and flip and worked for a hedge fund for a while. I mean, did did a, I've done a bunch of stuff. So fast forward to today in real estate, done over, I think about 8,000 deals at this point, maybe 600 million plus in real estate um, and started a cannabis company a few years ago that's now in full like zero to a thousand mode. So the real estate business pretty much is on autopilot and we're not looking to do anything different other than just put more widgets in that production line. But where we're really innovating is in the cannabis space, which is really where my passion is. But I'm also passionate about real estate. I'm good at it. I know it. It's easy. It's like an ATM machine for me at this point, kind of like you guys, you get enough flow where as long as you just keep doing the right processes, you don't really have to do anything different other than put more widgets in the beginning and the profit will, will spit out the end. So that's a quick summary about me. That's amazing. I think you hit something that was truly key to the, to the way that we operate our business and frankly, to the way that we hire. Um, when I hire people, first of all, one of the things I always go back to is one of the things that you taught us was, you know, don't settle, you know, only settle for A-list players, great people, you know, you talk about people and processes. And even though you told us that, you know, four to five years ago uh, when we were more engaged, but, you know, I, I, it, it took us trial and error to really realize, like, that's the direction that we have to go in. You know, you can McDonald's your process, but if you don't have great people operating it, you know, it, it can fall apart. 
right? So that was something that, you know, I, I build on more and more every day, that I focus on more and more every day. I only want elite people in my operation. But the thing that you just hit on was when I'm interviewing people, I try to tell people in a way it's almost like we're not in real estate because our main thing is really sales and marketing, right? It's almost like we're not in real estate, especially because we're more virtual than most operations. You're not in real estate. Real estate just happens to be the widget. 100% you and I are in a sales and marketing business. And what's funny, you and I even have a little bit of a different tweak. Mm -hmm. I'm in a, a, a data aggregation and sales business. Mm -hmm. Most people are in a, a sales and marketing. But for me, right. it's all about data. It's all about aggregating the data. So I've actually changed my view on that. What I, I used to say I was in sales and marketing. And now I say I'm in data and sales because I don't market. You know, PPC would be a form of marketing for us. Our core strength is being able to take large amounts of data, figure out what we don't want, figure out exactly what we do want, figure out how to find those people and that there's a lot of data involved in that. And then we're simply, our first call is not marketing. We're right into the sales process. So I've probably over the six, last six months to a year, as I made a shift from being a purely auction business where that was an underwriting exercise to being a sales and marketing, which is what the business I thought I was in. And then I realized really quickly during COVID as we reinvented ourselves that we're a data company. And so wow. that's, that, that has been a big shift for me. I'd say probably even since the last interview I've done with anybody that I've really realized that our core strength is data. That's what we're really good at. And that's the front end of our business. But if we're really good at data, not good at sales, that's useless. And we can be great at sales with okay data and still have moderate results, but you put great data and great sales together, you've got an incredible real estate business. That, that's amazing that you said that because that's what we are learning over time more and more is how valuable great data is, right? And the, it's the little tweaks, it's the little tweaks and adjustments you make over time that really helps us to create what our buy box is. Three, four years ago, I would have never thought we had a buy box. It's basically acquiring and just trying to flip it to any Tom, Dick and Harry, but it's really like, what is your your highest and best payout and how do you achieve that? You have to create some type of buy box and you have to get intricate data, motivated sellers, distressed properties. And, and we're, you know, we're learning that even as we speak. So what I was going to ask you before is by me saying that in interviews, because when people interview with me, um, they're excited about real estate, but I, 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 I don't want to like, I don't want to pop their balloon but I do want them to really understand that, listen, you're not gonna come in here and go in and out of properties and see you know, the, the repair project from start to finish. It's gonna be a call center. You're gonna be hitting the phones for eight hours a day at least. And you know, we're here for a purpose, right? We're here for a purpose to, to grow with the company, to grow together. Um, and it's not for those shiny objects that people see when they wanna get into real estate. So I was really gonna ask, is that the right approach when hiring? So it's interesting you say that. So for me, you actually spoke about the McDonald's setup, and that's been one of my core principles in teaching for many, many, many years. The reason I use McDonald's is because we can all imagine it, right? If you look back in the back kitchen, are you even allowed in McDonald's anymore? I don't know. But let's just say pre, pre-COVID, you're allowed inside to actually order food inside, right? I, I sneak in one there, <laughs> What's that? I sneak into McDonald's once a week. 
Nice. I don't, I don't blame you. That's my guilty pleasure. So I'd oh. be a hypocrite if I told you I didn't love McDonald's. So, and by the way, when they come out with the McGriddle and they said, not only do you put your favorite stuff inside, we're going to wrap it in a pancake. And by the way, here's the ringer. We're going to put syrup inside that pancake. I was like, you got me all, you know what? So anyway, I love McDonald's. But going back to their production line. So if you look at the beginning, you'll see the pull out the tray. That's, you know, it's, you've got a set piece of machinery in every McDonald's. Stuff is at a set temperature. They got set apparatus. It goes to the next station. They'll do that. It gives a set amount of sauce, which goes to the next station. The wrapper comes out. I mean, they basically, I would say that without being mean, they're not hiring rocket scientists to run their operations, right? Especially on the production line. But what they've done is create a process that's so simple. They can put an entry-level employee in there and have the same product in Shanghai, in Dublin, or in Chicago, or in Tampa, Florida, or in Jacksonville, right? That's what McDonald's done. And they've done that through systems and processes. So with that being said, not every role in our in our company is the same. So something we have to learn, even at the call centers, right? Completely different call skill set between our opener whose job is to build rapport so we really call them rapport builders and our closer which is their job is to turn that warm lead their only job is to get a contract and so for me that's my prize fighter so we don't have them waste a bunch of time building rapport we want the rapport built by rapport builders and when it's time to fight we put them out in the cage you, you go close the deal and here's the thing i don't care if they're working two hours or 20 hours a week, they're bringing me contracts. That's what I care about. That's very, very result-based. But then you look at a transaction coordinator. As you guys know, you can get all these deals. You don't have someone super organized moving those deals through the system, liaisoning between sellers and buyers. <coughs> the operation falls apart because yep. no one's going to push your deals like you are. No title company is going to do that. The only person's going to push your deals is you. Uh-huh. So when I'm explaining the operation, I've kind of this is a long way to, to really answer your question. Depending on who I'm talking to, there's a different narrative. So for instance, my openers, my rapport builders, we don't talk about profitability. We just talk about leads that convert into contracts because the only part of the puzzle that they're involved in is making a phone call that turns into a lead that turns into a contract. So we talk about, hey, here's the number of contracts. It's not like we have, we made $83,000 in this house. It's we got a contract and you did that. And this is how you fit in our world. And you did a great job. And if you have better conversations, which is why we're going to do this boring training session for an hour, because if we teach you how to have a better conversation, you're going to weed out bad leads from the guy who's joking saying, well, pay me a million dollars and I'll buy it. And then they're like, warm lead. And the clothes just like this person's wasting my time, right? That's all a training process. We'd rather teach them to understand the stress, understand humor when the seller's joking, when the seller's being sarcastic. So now with my closer, I'm looking for a high ticket phone closer. I don't want someone's door to door. I don't want someone who worked in an office. I want someone who is a phone closer. And they only sell. So the only thing I want is a high ticket phone closer. So my my conversation with him is going, hey, I've got tons of high ticket leads and you can make 10% of that high ticket lead for everyone you close. Again, the conversation is his part of the universe or her part of the universe. My transaction coordinator I'm saying, hey, we got a production line of contracts and we need a super organized person. So I'm describing the same universe, just a little bit different to my TC because that's that's what I want to attract. I want to attract an organized person that likes to move stuff through the production line, 
get the deals closed, get them across the line. So yeah, it's when I talk internally, I definitely have completely different conversations with different people depending on what their role is because okay. it's very unique. Like you said, if you looked at this business 10 years ago, it's just different, right? Now it's call centers. People aren't driving houses. And what, what you and I have done, by the way, you guys and I, we've institutionalized a mom and pop business right. because the way people used to do it before, they go drive the house, go talk to a seller, it's yeah. do the deal in the trunk of their car. You can't do that. You can only do a certain amount of deals. If you want to scale, you have to have a call center. You have to be able to run your data for, out of one place, your calls, and you have to be able to run the business remotely. Then you compile that with COVID where it went from being a way to scale to being a necessity. You know, it's, it's what's really interesting as we're talking here, I'm seeing the business go back to where you're doing deals in the trunk of the car. So we've actually, we've, we've, we're being flexible in our process. And my whole philosophy is we do, we do deals with sellers on how they want to talk to us. They want us to come to their house. We come to their house. They want to sign electronically. We sign electronically. They want to sign a physical piece of paper. We'll do that. They want it mailed. No problem. You want a faxed? No problem. You want snail mail. You want smoke signal, whatever you want. Pigeon carrier. You know, we try to be really customer driven because we recognize now that the COVID era hopefully is coming to an end that people want that interaction and we can get pipped at the post by sending electronic contract and our con our competitions rolling right in the driveway with a contract in their hand. So mm, that's a really good point. Um, can you talk a little bit? Cause well, how long have you been in the real estate industry? I've been in real estate for 17 years for 17 years. Right. Yeah, I, I've watched the thing go full circle. So, as far as the the acquisition approach in real estate, the uh, you know, like your dad said, buy low, you sell high, you make you make the spread in between, which is amazing. That's a super simple concept, but it's very relative to the way that we operate. So, I love that you told that story. But the evolution from when you started to where it is now, how, how did that look seventeen years ago? Well, I'll let you a secret. First of all, nothing's changed. So nothing's changed. The only, the only thing that's changed is the technology. But the real estate cycle hasn't changed. You know, at the end of the cycle, when I first got involved, the only seller in town was the homeowner with tons of equity, exactly like it is now. Then it flipped to the banks. And then it, as people realized the market was degradating, it was short sales, which again is the bank, but you got to deal with the homeowner. But ultimately, the bank pulls the, the, the purse strings. Then it went to these auction platforms and then foreclosures died off because people started getting equity and then it's back to sellers with equity. The only difference is now, instead of me driving to their house, we're texting them, we're calling them and we're doing it from a central place, but really nothing has changed. The big key that people forget, there's, there's a couple things. This is an acquisition business. So you just got to figure out who the biggest sellers are with the most distressed properties because only someone who's distressed is going to give you a deal. So you got to figure out who's distressed in the market. That's who you're chasing. Today, it's the homeowner. Tomorrow, it'll be the bank. Nothing's changed. The other thing that people forget is that buy, ho buy low, sell high. And so what I describe to people, at the bottom of the market, you buy everything in sight. At the top of the market, you want to control assets. Wholesaling is probably the poster child of controlling an asset because you're not taking physical ownership of it. Or even if you do for weeks or months, you're not intending to own it long term. Because if you truly believe the market goes in cycles, which Florida clearly does, you can give me every argument under the sun that it's, it's going to be sustainable and there's a support level and 
whatever the mumbo jumbo we learned in IMN last week. My whole point is this, it will go in a cycle. And these assets are likely to go significantly far back below. That's the time to buy. Today is a time to control assets. And people often forget that they, you know, they're trying to squeeze stuff into, we learned last week, a four and a half cap, right? I can tell you endless stories of 15 and 20 caps. If you take an IRR on top of that, where I positive appreciation, positive, positive rent growth, we're looking at IRR 25, 30%. I mean, I, I could show you countless assets that paid off 10 times over by buying at the bottom of the market. Can you make a deal work at the top? Yes, you can. But that fundamental principle, low debt, you know, any other argument you want to use doesn't negate the, the extreme benefit of buying at the bottom of the market. The bottom of the market covers so many mistakes because you can screw up on your management, you can screw up on your rehab, but if you bought it right over years, it'll it'll make up for all of those mistakes. You buy at the top of the market, you make any mistakes, wiped out. No, it's true, man, because with my family, we bought a ton of rentals in the hood, and we didn't make any money in the rent. We just, like, every month something came up, blah, 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 blah. You thought you made money, then they left, and then you had to turn it, so now you're out 500 bucks for the year instead of making the 3000 that you thought because of the turn. But we bought in 2016 and sold in 2019, 2018, so you know double tripled the money and yep. we literally lost money throughout the whole rental process but because we bought and that wasn't even the low you know what i mean that was you know 2016 was still you know not not the lowest it was um but yeah you know just double tripled your money and lost money throughout the whole time so yeah buy I, I i get it and this is where market cycles are just so important and you know my mentor described me best you know the people at the bottom are the investors. As you as you move up, you go from being an investor to being a speculator. And typically at the point where real estate becomes speculative, that's where the masses of asses come in. So don't be part of the masses of asses. Be an innovator. Lead the market. Realize that you control at the top. You buy at the bottom. We are at the top of the market. You know, we'll go a little bit up. Maybe. Is it likely to go up a whole lot more? Probably not. But does it have a huge downside risk? Absolutely, it does. So controlling assets makes a ton of sense right now. And there's multiple ways, option contracts, wholesaling, you know, just whole, taking something down, wholesaling quickly. Um, same thing with a rehab. You know, you can do an option contract and rehab it and then close on it and shorten the risk that way. I mean, there's so many different ways to control assets and not have to buy them to, to hold them long-term, put long-term debt on them. You don't have to do that. Super interesting. One of the things that you mentioned, you said uh, some of the uh, targets that you've noticed over the years were uh, transitioning to targeting seller direct and then uh, maybe targeting bank whoever's you know in need of having to offset the asset. Is there yeah. anything else we should be paying attention to or looking at with ways to acquire real estate, buy low and sell high? Sure. I mean, I think right now, I mean, if you if we believe the market's high, then our seller by nature is distressed. So I've got a very simple philosophy. I look for high distress, high equity, everything else. And here's what's nice when you get focused to your business, anything that's not high distress, I don't even go after. So if it's not high distress, it's dead on arrival for me. Mm. So everyone else, every wholesaler in the country, in the world can have everything that's non-distressed. <clears throat> because my avatar is only distressed. 
So that's, again, if this is wisdom, experience, you know, doing this for a while, you realize you do a lot better when you focus. The second thing I look for is equity because I realized I can go after people who are distressed and make five and 10 grand wholesale deals, or I can say, you know what? My competition is going to put the same amount of effort as me so they can have all of the low equity deals. I only want high equity. So we set a very high equity bar, a very high distress first, high equity, and I stay in my lane. So do I have the most amount of leads or dials or whatever metric people want to brag about on Instagram? Probably not. But do we have a good conversion rate? And do we have a highly profitable per deal rate? We do. Our average deal lately is 50,000 or more on every deal. I don't have to do a lot of 50 grand deals. And I can tell you, I've been a, a wholesale mill. So I'm not knocking, you know, if you guys are doing those five and 10, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I've did I've done months where I did a hundred of those deals. And you know what? That adds up to five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. So so don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not knocking that. At this point, I've decided though that with the volume of deals coming on the market, for us really understanding our, our buy box now while the foreclosure volume is low and perfecting that, <clears throat> once the floodgates open, we're into multi-million dollar months. So we're we're very happy with, with what we're doing. We've gone through our proof of concept or training ground for the last two years. Foreclosures are about 5% of where they should be in Florida. I mean, this thing is going to 5, 10, 20x over the next 12 to 24 months. And I, you guys haven't seen this before. Yeah, you no. haven't seen where you can go to whatever the what's what's an investor zip code in Jacksonville? You know 32209. There you go, 32209. <laughs> so you can go there and you realize that if it's a pure investor neighborhood, you might find that 70% of the properties are in foreclosure. And you right. guys are thinking, no, it's never gonna happen. The sky's never gonna fall. Here's the cool part about well, it's not cool, but this is a fact. If an investor is just dollars and cents, they're not a homeowner. If they're losing money in the property and there's no equity, again, the only reason, Gonzalo, you stayed in the deal because you had equity, right. right? But imagine that rent, same rental, lost 500 bucks at the end of the year. Oh, by the way, it went down 10 grand in value. Right. How are you feeling about that? Not really good, right? No. So let's just say, you know what? Well, my name's Gonzalo. I never give up. I fight to the death. So you like the guy from Monty Python. It's only a flesh wound, right? So year two. It goes down another 10 grand. By the way, you only paid 40 grand for this thing. <clears throat> now it's worth 30. Now it's worth 20. And you lost $2,000. Yeah. Investors are only going to take their lumps so long before they just throw in the towel. And this is where you see those investor neighborhoods are going to fall before a homeowner. A homeowner will fight to the death because that's their home. You know, they, especially FHA, they put a lot of money into it. And so um, <clears throat> they're going to, they will be the first to fall because they're not going to lose their 20% down payment. At some point, they say, you know what, the AC is gone. The property's worth 50 grand less than what I paid. I'll let that one go. And then the last one's your holdouts. You're going to be your 20% down conventional buyers or your luxury buyers who can wire up and hold the banks off for 10, 20 years. That's going to be your last. But nothing new exists in real estate. The only difference, the only cause of this high portion of delinquencies, which is going to go into foreclosures, is COVID. Last time, it was just lending money to the wrong people. Now we have a whole slew of borrowers, whether they're qualified or not at time zero when the loan was originated, they haven't paid in 16, 18 months. They're not gonna pay. <laughs> Doesn't matter what the rate is, they're not paying. And so there's a whole bunch of people in this country where there's gonna be millions of foreclosures. 
Will some people work it out? Yes, there will. But there's been a fundamental shift in our country in the last 18 months or so where we're going to go through the same cycle just for a different reason this time. Right. right. So if I can ask you, maybe you don't have the answer to this right now, and that's okay. Sure. But if the institutions and the government's going to step in, if they decide to create innovative ways to help these people through their mortgages and to catch up or maybe tax sure. the difference on the end of the loan, what's going to still cause them to go into default? Sure. Well, let's talk about that. So let's, first of all, saying these people is a dangerous statement because it makes everybody the same. You're going to have different groups of people. Okay. You're going to people that when, when the banks really push them, they'll start paying, right? Then you got people that just have no intention to pay. They're going to see how long they can ride the train. Then you got your FHA borrower. I'll give you an example. You know, and I've dealt with these people. They put no money in the house. It needs a new roof. The bank can modify your mortgage all you want. They don't have 15 grand for a new roof. So they just abandon the house. Okay. And this, there's, so you're kind of dealing, again, I just took three, three buckets, if you want to call them that, of borrowers, sure. but there's multiple buckets of borrowers. So these workout programs are just, they're going to work for some people. They're not going to work for everybody. You know, interesting stat, depending on who you ask, about 90% of people in workout programs have been in there since day one. They're repeat offenders, which means it's the same group of people going, I need more, six more months. I need six more months. They haven't paid. There's a huge majority, not majority. There's a huge portion of this population hasn't paid rent or mortgage since last February. And that may be shocking to th the three of us doing this show and people listening, but that's a fact. That's true. Yeah. So, so it sounds like they're just delaying the inevitable and by delaying it with time, it's just kind of like exponentially growing that group so that it's just going to spill over at some point in time. It's a snowball effect, Dominic. What I've seen last cycle, it's a snowball. Again, once there's equity there, everybody's hanging on. Everybody's pretending like everything's fine. It's like the Titanic. They're playing the music. Like everything's great. Right. Yep. But there's a lot of people that are only hanging on because their house still has equity where the true, the true numbers come out was when equity starts to go away and then people lose that incentive. They've literally nothing to hang on to. And then you really start to see who's exposed. Now there is some interesting fun fact, you know, us household debt is at extreme low. So I, I think it is going to be a slow engine, but again, I pointed out earlier, there's going to be cycles. There's going to be waves. And the first wave is going to be the investor product. You know, us as investors, the tenants don't pay us for COVID. What does the bank say? That's a crazy fact because with COVID, people are spending so much damn money. Yeah, and yeah. then debt is oh, the even... banks don't give a they, they don't care. Yeah. They, they <laughs> no, don't my care. point. So yes, to answer both your questions, yeah, if Dominic, the, that's the tenant tenant well, doesn't all, pay, they don't care. So all that's happened, Dominic, and you I want to just clarify what's happened. The sure. stimulus came down, people paid off their credit cards. Mm. So that's the third great answer to your question. Oh, and, that's and, yeah. and Gonzalo, for you. You're right, the banks don't care, which is why investors will fall first. So ultimately when people don't pay, someone gets left holding the bag. It's the investor, if the investor doesn't pay, then it's either the PMI company or the mortgage company or the feds, right? If it's federally insured, but right. someone gets left holding the bag. This isn't a zero sum game. At some point, you know, there's a winner and there's a loser. And so what's happened is the person that's been affected by COVID is the winner. And then the person who is not getting that relief is the one that's the loser. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to ask a question and, and this is just a personal question. So like, sure. We're, you know, we're talking about the height of market, buy low, sell high, control high. Um, 
Yeah, buy at the bottom, control at the top. Right, right. So, so what do you do right now? Like, you know, with money that you have, like, you know, obviously buying rentals is a great way to, you know, um, shelter, you know, tax. Um, so, what what do you do with your with your money right now, or what should we do with our money? You know, if right now holding isn't the best thing, where where should we put our money if it's not in you know holding? Sure. Gold? Well, the most natural leverage, the most natural hedge against a high market is lending. Because as long as you lower your LTV, you've actually ridden the same train as the investor, but uh, but they've taken the risk. Let's take an example. If you guys buy something for a dollar and I lend you 70 cents of your purchase price, and again, you've bought wholesale, I've now, I'm now I'm 30% less at risk than you guys mm. as a lender. So a great hedge in a market, you can make fantastic rates lending money. The key is who you're lending to, because people that are good people will pay whether they have the whether they made money in the deal or not. People are bad people will walk away if there's nothing in it for them. So it's people first. Then you you control the LTV where you limit your risk. And then obviously you do your homework, making sure that you know the market's not being completely obliterated while you're lending money. But really it's just down to a borrower. A leverage situation and again assuming that you have a proper valuation so for me you know one of my good friends he he has almost a zero percent default rate over the last 10 plus years and he has 30 to 40 million out in the streets at any one point because his formula is simple wow. you got 30 percent in a heartbeat i'll loan you the money right right no that's true so, yeah and we we just did a hard money loan we didn't even, you know we're not hard money lenders at all but we had a buyer for a flip deal and they had, you know, they were willing to put 75 grand down, you Absolutely. know? And so it's like, dude, at that point, that was more you know like a I mean? 70, 40. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, 60, 40, I guess. 60, yeah. 40. Perfect. Yeah. They put Why wouldn't you? down. We lent the rest like for six months. Why not? And it know? was a Why no not? deal. Yeah. And, and it was a no deal. Yeah. <laughs> deal almost fell through. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. good. I have a, I have an interesting question. So you said, you know, just in simplified terms, your avatar is high distress, high equity, right? So is distress the same as motivation in your opinion? Uh, and if not, then then what are the differences? It's a good question. Um, so for me, I think there's, there's, you've got motivation, maybe it starts over here and moves over to distress. Mm -hmm. So for me, there's motivation here, there's distress over here. I'm more on like the distress side. Like I want people to be really in trouble. So I want a sale looming over their head. I want a code enforcement violation that's turned into a lien. You know, I want taxes that were owed to now be causing someone to file a lien where they want to sell their property. You know, I want a stick. I want something that's really forcing the seller. I mean, death. I'll give you an example. Death by itself would indicate motivation. But we found in our research that death by itself wasn't a great lead. But if you have someone where it's going to tax deed sale and someone died, mm. it's great, right? Because what it means is nobody's managing the estate. And we realized that there's there's two kind of leads for us. And this is this is something I learned over the last 12 months. I used to think that my avatar was someone who was highly motivated. I'll let you in on a secret on another avatar that we don't quite think about. The other avatar that most people mistake is people that don't care. 
Mm. You can get just as good of a deal from a seller that doesn't care as someone who's really motivated. So let's talk about that. An unorganized estate, you know, we both, I think, work, work with Al Nicoletti. So he does a lot of our probates. So big shout out to Al Nicoletti. If you want a great probate attorney in Florida, I get nothing out of it other than a happy attorney. And he's awesome. So my point is this, an unorganized estate with four heirs, taxes are owed, a mortgage is owed, and some code enforcement. It means it's just, it's an unmanned ship. So you call up these people, no one cares. You say, hey, I'll give you $1,000. Sure. Hey, I'll give you $1,000. Hey, I'll give you $1,000. Hey, I'll give you $1,000. So now you control the estate for four grand. An uninterested seller is just as powerful as a motivated seller. So we now have changed our buy box. So we, we really look for sellers that are clearly uninterested in their property. We come along and here's here's a you know an example of a conversation. Well, I was just gonna let the house go. Well, great. I wanna give you money on the way out the door. Hmm. We'll send your contract right now. <laughs> Perfect, right? I'm not even trying to sell them. My, my entire sales process stopped. What do I need to sell them on? Right. They're letting the property go. It's an uninterested seller. Fantastic. This is your lucky day. How would you like $2,000? I'll get you a contract right now. We'll send you $2,000 next week. And that way you can lose your property and get $2,000. Sound good? Perfect. You would be shocked how many people that don't care about their properties where we skip our entire sales process and just go straight into giving them money. So just keep that in mind. An, un an uninterested seller is just as powerful as a motivated seller. Awesome. So I think the lingering question for a lot of people that's watching is how do we find these un uninterested sellers? It's, good. it's a great question. So, I mean, clearly multiple forms of distress um, could be one indication. So again, where everything's going wrong, right? The grass is high, the mortgage is not being paid, the tax is not being paid, the insurance is not being paid. What you're really looking for though, um, again, we don't get that answer typically until they're on the phone. And so this is why for me, starting with high distress and starting with high equity, as soon as I have an uninterested seller, I already know it's high equity. So I can just flip right away to just giving them, you know, beer money because I've already started with a, with a list that has high equity. So this is why I like my list so much because I want to buy every one of the houses on my list. Right. Every one of them. And maybe if I got 20% wrong, cause I cast the net a little bit wider, I probably want 80% of them. So I'm dying to talk to every single person on my list. And that's why I think that scrubbing that list at the beginning, Dominic, is, is the key answer. The, the key is to figure out <coughs> who, who your avatar is. So specifically to find an uninterested seller, death probably is a, is a good correlation between a lot of the people that we find. Why? And actually, I'll give you a, probably a non-traditional secret too. Non-probate death. Why? Because if probate has happened, the estate is organized, which means someone's taking charge of the estate. They're talking to realtors. They're getting valuation. They care about the property, right? They cared enough to form an estate. They cared enough to, sorry, they cared enough to form um, a personal representative to represent the estate. They cared enough to bring it to an attorney. So right. somebody who cares that much is a dangerous seller because now they've probably done their homework and you're less likely to get a deal. So I love, and I would say 90% of our properties in involved death have 
no probate. So non-probate death. That were, there you go. That's the honey yeah. hole. That's yeah. funny, man. I, I, when you said that, I felt like I was reading a post or a story that said non-probate death, and it said, read that again. <laughs> non-probate death. Yeah. Because you have to think about that for a second. It's like yeah, you, that, that you almost, be... you're used to pulling probate lists. It almost doesn't make sense. Like, right. Again. Yeah, you want to. I know it's counterintuitive, guys, what I'm saying. And probably some of the things I'm saying are not what you guys are used to. But really think about what I'm saying. Probate means someone cares. Right. Somebody, at least right. one representative, one heir cares. Mm. Non-probate could either be care or don't care. But there's likely to be people that don't care in that in that set. So I'm always looking for the the advantage. It's kind of like the traditional teaching tells you to do what: don't go after owner occupants. You after non-owner occupants. That's the honey hole. Like it's bullshit. If there's equity and there's distress, I don't care where you live. I want to make sure that I'm calling you and I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to make sure Al's handling the probate, so you want to get it before probate. He does a great job. We do. We work hand in hand with Title and with Al, and we'll yep. sign a lot of pre-probate documents. You know, we're very flexible in our process. In a lot of cases, which he's probably he'll cringe when he hears some of this stuff, but we'll we'll shell out large amounts of money before the probate's even done. So he he's definitely um, impressed with our process. But again, we need to have certain documentation signed before I start pushing out money. But I can tell you that having a great probate attorney, a great Title company that really understands this entire process is going to be a key tool in your tool belt because you can really understand what you're dealing with when it comes to heirs, what your risk is and giving them money before the probate's complete. And there is risk. So don't get me wrong. There's risk in everything, but we've learned as a company how to quantify our risk and have really, really good success in dealing with these estates. I mean, just to kind of give you an example, you can give them some of their money, right? I need a thousand dollars. Now you're going to give them 20, fine. Give them a thousand, right? Right. It's just like anything else in business. There's always going to be an element of risk. As long as your attorney says if they sign these 12 documents, you've limited your risk. So I like I like non-probate. I'm a very, very big fan because now I get paid not only for finding the deal, but organizing the estate, which is why they're highly profitable deals. We get paid for solutions, guys. Right. If you're doing right. the same thing as everybody else, and now it's gone through probate, and they call Cash Geeks and four other competitors, now you guys are just duking it out on an organized estate for, and you're competing on price. You're never going to make, you're going to get a base hit on price, but you're never going to get a home run if you're competing purely on price. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so I have a, a question, technical question. Sure. I want to pick your brain, you know, of course. for build, building the team. So you, you know, you've been running businesses and you've handled, you know, 50 to a hundred transactions on a monthly basis. Yeah. So what would you say is the you know best guesstimate for uh how many files can a transaction coordinator handle? That's Should a really, really real. So I can tell you at our height with the transaction coordinator quits shortly after, so we'll kind of go with that. Um I bought I bought and sold in one month about 250 assets. So it was 150, 125 buys, 125 sells. Jesus. We did that with Two CC, two two TCs, so I would say fifty files. Depends on the complication of the file. That's the big part. So there's there's two things. If there are complicated files like the ones I have now, twenty is probably their max because they're all over the place. Everything's like quick claim deeds and 
problematic files that we're dealing with now, pre pre foreclosure, just completely botched files, but we <clears throat> we make really good money on them. If you're just doing traditional assignments, man, a good TC can probably do 50 deals. So this is where it really depends. And if you're doing bread and butter real estate or you're doing really complex real estate, our real estate is so complex at this point that I've actually, I'm bringing in in-house counsel to work on the front end of these buys to help with legal documentation, to get everything papered up because it's cheaper than the 30, 40, 50,000 a month we're paying on attorneys right now. So um, 50 is probably a good rule of thumb. I would say, I think you're getting into dangerous territory over that as far as quality goes, but it really depends on the complexity of your file. Gotcha. Okay. And I would say that for most people, they're, I, I, I was blessed and I'm still blessed today with absolute rock stars. Like I would fight to the death if anyone tried to take anyone from my office and I can, so maybe a TC and an assistant. So a lot of this stuff, there, as you know, there's busy work and then there's stuff that really requires a, a lot of skill set. You know, following up with people and setting appointments would be an example of a, an entry level task. And then a technical knowledge on a title commitment coming back and there's issues and you got to figure out, OK, is the buyer still going to buy it, being able to explain to the buyer or can we cure the title? And this is where, you know, for us, our, our TCs need to be title people that are customer yeah. service orientated to All think right. like investors. <laughs> so if you really wanted your unicorn, Gonzalo, that's it. Yes. You, know, yeah. you want a title expert with great customer service skills that can talk to both sellers and buyers. And by the way, they think like an investor. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. your avatar, man. It's, it's, it's a tough position to fill. Yeah. And most of my time is in the transaction coordination department, you know, because yep. that's where the buyers come up and yep. that's where, okay, this came up on title. Exactly what you said. Can we convince the buyer to still take it on? If not, can we fix it? And then if not, how can we fix it? Got to, you know, rethink it. Call Al, call somebody to see right. if, you know, if it's fixable. Watch a um, lead video. Yeah, watch watch a lead, a lead video. <laughs> see if we can figure it out. But yeah, but TC, I mean, so, that's where most of the buyers come up. Yeah, let me give you a tip on that. So part of our, once we realize there's death involved, we could all involve right at the beginning. Mm. So right at the beginning, we're sending out title and we're giving it to Al. Because title is not going to fix the probate problem. If someone died and there's heirs, I might as well dig into the probate side of this deal and going, Al, what do you need? So literally there's two concurrent emails going out at the same time. One to title and one to Al. That's smart. That's smart. That's amazing. Because all that's going to happen is the title is going to come back and go, well, uh, so-and-so died and we need a probate done. You're like, oh, we need, you knew this day one, right? So now you've taken three days, five days, 10 days off your, your closing period and have a fire at the end of your file process when you already know day one, someone died, you're dealing with Joe, Mary, and Bob, who are the three heirs of John, and you say, hey, by the way, here's our contract Al. Here's a little family tree. By the way, you really want to help your probate attorney? The picture is better is better than a thousand words. So if you got a family tree and you guys can get good, they can be like caveman sketches, but just try to get that to your attorney. That's going to be way better than trying to describe in a, a two-page email and right. show them here's who died, here's when they died, here's who we're dealing with. By the way, one of them died and they had two kids. And you show that to your probate attorney day one, you've just shortened the time period for, you've, you've given yourself more time to fix the file. Right. Right. 
No, that's huge, man. That's huge because um, I literally had a title company come to our office this week. Um, and exactly what you're saying, man, like that's just how we've always done it. Like, let's just pull title and see what has to be done. You know what has to be done. Like, we know it's going to need probate, but let's send it to title, get the title commitment, and then we'll and then we'll start the pro and then we'll call Al. So it's just so funny that you said that because I literally had a title company come to our office this week just randomly. And they literally just asked us, you know, because our files are prop most of them are problem files. There's always something that comes up. And by the way, we want to close in three days, right? So like we're trying to close quick and their problem properties. So, you know, they literally just told us, hey, if you can tell us everything about the file as soon as you order title, tell us there's code violations, right? Tell us somebody. Because now you can start working that problem. Exactly. And I think that exactly. to your point, so <laughs> in fact, I'll even go a step further than that. A lot of wholesalers do what you what you described as a linear process, right? Well, we do this, we, then we deal with the problems. If you know that the grass is six feet high and there's a code enforcement node on the door, and you know what we just described that there's a probate, your process should be a concurrent process and not a linear process. At the end of the day, you can find out the problems and then start solving them, or you can solve the three problems you know today, still send it for title and see if there's any additional problems. You're yeah. going to find that your transaction coordination will be much more efficient. Your strike rate will go up. Your sorry, your fallout rate will go down, right. and you're, you'll have a lot less stressed out people in your office if you have a process that identifies the low-hanging fruit that you already know about. Right. I mean, if you're, let's just say you're in the city of Jackson. At this point, the show's up. If the grass yep. is six feet high, you already know code enforcement yep. is on. Yep. Well, great. Start working on that. Right. Right. Mow right. the grass before you own it. Whatever you got to do to, yep. to get that guy to go away. There's things you can do in your files to just start. Now, I'm not saying spend money, but let's just say you, you know oh, yeah. you have to cut the grass. Once title comes back and you realize, okay, I got to fix the grass issue and do a probate. Fine, cut the grass, happy coat enforcement. Find right. out from from Al if he can get the probate done and get your AD and your BC closed at the same time. <clears throat> or maybe your seller needs to close and your private lender says, you know what? If Al said it'd be done in three weeks, I'll lend you the money. That way your seller's happy, they're out of the way. You can give them some money, maybe give them some money later, your heirs, and then I'll close the deal and then we'll we'll get this probate complete and then you can sell it to your buyer and everybody's happy. You know, there's... Like you said, there's always solutions, but but dealing with the knowns up front on a file, as soon as you intake an AV file, makes a ton more sense instead of waiting for the title company to tell you what you already know. Yeah, I think that's incredible. What I'm hearing is take care of the issues like simultaneously. Solve them like whatever you can within reason without having to front so much money, if, especially if there's doubt as to whether it's going to go to close or not. Correct. Solve them concurrently. Don't wait for them all to boil up at the end right. and then put it on one individual right. or you're scattering <clears throat> and you're risking losing the deal. Right. Sure. Right. Let me take that exact example just to be clear. By the way, that title company that was here last week, I don't what's know if you remember. What's, what did you say? That's literally why they came to that title company. Okay. It was literally to tell me that. They literally were just like, yo, we're doing a lot of business. I need you to send me every headache that you know about the property as soon as you ask me to order title. Because if you do that, because right now, and you know, freaking COVID, title's taking forever. Yep. So you have, you know, you have three weeks on the contract, you don't get title back to like, you know, sometimes 10 days in, right? So yep. now you have another six days 
to just clear up everything on title and majority of that stuff we already knew about we knew it was going to need probate we knew it was you know had well, so, so let me explain that really quick so just to answer your point so we send title down one path takes 10 days i'm going to use the 10 days let's just say i know about the code enforcement i want code enforcement to say if you cut the grass there's no more violations perfect that task is done because yeah. guess what? Title comes back in day 10. I know there's no other issues. It's getting mowed. I don't mind spending money. And with yep. Al, you know, Al's getting a lot of show. To, by the way, Al, I hope you get a ton of leads and like your business blows This is up. how every show is, by the way. Yeah. Al so, gets four shout outs. Dude, I, yeah. I love on Al's show, he has a Cash Geeks hat in the background on Hell the shelf. Yeah. Hell yeah. So anyway, with regard to Al, you send him over your caveman sketch. You've showed him what the deal is. All you need to Al to do is say, yeah. You're dealing with the right people. I don't right. need anything else. I, in fact, once you give me the green light, I'll have the paperwork turned around in 24 hours. Yep. And guess what? Title comes back day 10, mow the grass, hit it out, go do the probate. Now you hit the go button on everything. But you, you right. use that 10 days to do your research and solve problems and make sure something's not a problem. Now, conversely, I'll make them back and say, you know what? Looks like there's a fourth missing child that you don't have a contract from. So- right. Before title comes back, you need to get this person to give you, you need to track them down. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to close this transaction. So, again, it's it's using the time you have concurrently to solve problems and come up with solutions instead of waiting for everything to hit once, like you said, with this exaggerated timeline on title now and having to scramble on everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. No, that's huge, man. Hey, I want to step in because we're getting very close to the tail end and We've talked about some advanced high-level stuff. Yeah. I just, if, if you don't mind, maybe taking another 30 seconds to a minute and let's 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 help out the people that might be just starting or just learning sure. about wholesaling or real estate. Yeah. And maybe they're just trying to get their first deal. Um, what, what do you think they should, tar what should their avatar be if they're just trying to get their first deal inside of their first month or two and get their real estate uh, business off the ground? Well, if the, the free it's for me way to do it, here it is. Okay. So if you're free and you, your philosophy is if it's free, it's for me, here you go. <laughs> Grid off a neighborhood. Uh, I would say typically you want to have the affordable neighborhoods. You don't want to be in a war zone. So if you got the worst part of Jacksonville, don't go there. Just get one stage up from that, right? So working class neighborhood, drive the entire, make, make a grid north, south, east, west. I mean, you want several hundred houses. Drive up and down every street. Again, this is the free. It's going to maybe cost you some gas and some lunch. So what I'm telling you here. Write down all the properties that look like they're below standard, which means they're not being maintained. Go research the house. Now, the first thing you want to do, this is, again, if you want to know my answer, you can either A, try to find a phone number for the owner, which is 50 ways to do that. But, you know, White Pages is a yep. service, I think 20 or 30 bucks a month. You can go call those people, find out, say, hey, driving your neighborhood. I buy in this neighborhood. Why is your property stress? Kind of ask a lot of questions. Or you, if you want to take the additional time to research if they're in foreclosure or how much is owed in their mortgage, now you know, hey, out of these 40 houses I found they're vacant, these three are the ones I really want. So you could go either way. And at that point, you tie up a contract. And here's the amazing part. You have a friend that has an MLS access, you can figure out really quickly what the cash buyers are that just bought in that neighborhood. So selling is easy. Or you can go to public record and you can download the information and figure out who's buying in the neighborhood. Very easy. 
or you can even be really lazy and just post it in the Jacksonville um, investor group saying, hey, I got a deal and here it is. And then it's sold and you don't have to have any buyers list. So you just sell a deal. So you can be super lazy. But the key is it, it's really easy to do this. People just got to get off their butts and do something. Um, the problem is, though, again, if you want to do it free, you have to physically see which houses are not being maintained. Now, the other way to do it, um, if you don't want to do that, you can pull a code enforcement list, which is public record. You can find out who's in, who's had code enforcement issues, go through the same process, call people, say, hey, you got to be respectful. You don't want to say your house is a shithole. You want to be like, well, why? Looks like you're having some maintenance issues, blah, 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 right? Be nice about it. And then alternatively, you can look for people in foreclosure. That's public record. Now there's two places you can do that. People have just gone into foreclosures, which we call a Liz Penn's list. You can pull all that yourself. You don't need to buy that. It's public record. You can buy it. Same yep. thing with stuff that's going for sale. You can you can access that. You don't have to buy it. You can see everything that's come up for sale. I can tell you every property in Duval County that's going to sale in the next month. Anybody can. Yeah. Or people are going to tax deed sale. So if you really want to do this for free, all these mind blocks that people have that you got to get out there and spend a bunch of money, drive your car, research foreclosures, research tax deeds, research code enforcement. You really want to get nifty. Uh, look at water shut off list. The problem with that is it may be in, in between being shut off and turned on. So it's not necessarily going to be a hundred percent hit. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if you drive the property, you can see that it's been abandoned. So that's, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal because it could be over leveraged. But everything I just gave you there, you actually want to make money in real estate and you have drive. You don't need a lot of money. You can probably get started with what I said for hundred bucks or less. Yeah. Yeah. And you say, yeah, driving for dollars, gas and lunch. And now intermittent fasting is popular. So you don't even eat lunch. You don't even eat lunch. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just gas. Just gas and you're good. Yeah, just eat till tomorrow. Just call yeah. it inter- intermittent fasting have, deal. You so. might have a Tesla, so maybe there's no gas. Mm, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, awesome. Dude. Sorry I came in late, but dude, I have a freaking page full of notes. And uh, dude, thank you so much for it's, doing this, man. It's great stuff. It's truly great stuff. Um, like I was saying in the, in the beginning, uh, before you came here, we've known Lee for about four, maybe a little bit more than four years. You won a contest which gave us admittance to like yes. this high level yes. weekend training, yeah, yeah. which was amazing. It really it was helped totally us get random, the business bro. off the ground. I was, I was part of uh, Francis and brian's uh mastermind group in jacksonville mm-hmm. on like internet marketing and they literally were like in the mastermind they were like who here can give us an idea that's going to make you the quickest amount of money on a wholesale deal and i pitched my idea i won and they were like cool you just want a ticket to lee carney's training in tampa i was like hell yeah so i told dom we're going there were some players there there was yeah. dennis mcdaniel chris kelly like Everyone was kind of in yeah. the beginning, kind of like what correct, where we were. Correct. Yeah, dude, that that freaking mastermind in Tampa, dude, like just changed totally everything. changed everything, man. So thank you so much. Well, that was that. that was the training, and then we actually signed up. Yeah, we signed up for, for the, the mastermind year long mastermind. Yeah. Yep. So we so hats off to you, Lee. We appreciate all that you've done for us, whether you know it or not. It's really made a strong impact from the very beginning. Dude, you're the reason. Literally, you're the reason everybody has four screens in here. <laughs> literally yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they're getting things. twice the amount of work that your competitions that being done right. Right. so right. Let, let people make fun of it you have highly efficient team members 
Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell and for, and for what I understand, you, you've got the advisor council going on right now. So if you don't mm -hmm. mind, I know a lot of people might be interested or should be interested. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about that if you don't mind? Yep. It's for active investors only. It's a small group, about 20, 25 people. Um, it's taught personally by me, uh, two calls a week, quarterly events. Our next one's going to be at the end of the next month in Hollywood, uh, right by the Seminole Hard Rock down Fort Lauderdale area. Um, we work hard. We play hard. It's a great group. We're a team. We're a family. And we get really tactical as well as high level. Everything I'm doing in business from real estate to cannabis, everybody has full access to seeing what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, the direction I'm moving with my real estate profits, and how that the business principles we talked about today apply to any industry, just a different widget. So I'm uh, beyond excited. I'm so proud of my group. You talk about heavy hitters. Um, most of my group is multi-seven-figure operators at this point. So it's the same group that you guys entered a few years ago that have now gotten to the next level, and they're crushing it. I can tell you, absolute rock stars, real estate, um, crypto guys in there that are doing really well. I've got someone who manages now ALFs on a high high level. You know, If you want to learn business at a high level, learn how rock stars do it and actually maintain it and apply it to other industries, hire the right people. I just did a post today on Instagram and I talked about technology. I actually talked about the four screens and how I don't want them anymore because the things I need to be doing are flying around the country, new business opportunities, mergers, acquisitions, and hiring great people to run the trail of destruction of stuff that I'm buying. So that's what I need. That's what I focus my time on. And if I'm processing in front of four screens, I can't, I can't be the highest and best use for my company. So sure. I've actually come full circle where I want my team to have them, but I want to be able to do everything on my phone. So I can be here in Ireland. I can be in California. In fact, right. I'll be here to Tampa, to Denver and back to Ireland by next Tuesday. So, Oh shit. Wait, That's where amazing. are you at right now? He's in Ireland. I'm in Dublin, Ireland. Dude, it's two in the oh, morning. Right. It's well, almost three in the it's morning. It's actually three in the morning. Oh hell yeah! Jeez. Hey, so Lee. that's why you were posting all these like Irish things. The is reason that... I was posting Irish things oh, is because I'm in Ireland. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, it's not because he's smart, Irish. Jake. Smart. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> when are we gonna see the Lee Carney <laughs> private jet? Um, we're we're looking at getting a twin prop in the next few weeks, and then um, we're looking at two separate jets. We should have one by the end of the year, and probably our second corporate one by next year. So, yeah, at this point we're it's all business for us. So yeah. um, it's not about fun toys that the twin prop gets us to, you know, stuff that's an hour or two away. And then we, for our West coast trips in New York, we got another couple of jets coming online, but yeah, it's um, for me, it, it's about assets and it's about things that can help me get those deals done. What I realized with COVID, you don't do multi hundred million dollar deals on a zoom call. You do them in someone's office at a restaurant on the golf course you do it in person so yeah you know it, it's it's fun i would say that i'm entering the funnest stage of business i've ever been at so Hell big deals amazing. great people awesome. lots of fun doing it so That's all i ask man. lee is just give me a, a a social media private message or a text or something when the jet is going to be very close to jacksonville so i can go take a selfie with it fair enough deal <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> awesome
All right, guys. So we are wrapping it up. Once again, we had Lee Carney on. Um, as soon as we wrap this up within the next one to two minutes, it's going to be posted in the Facebook group so you can go back and watch the entire thing. And you can always watch it at youtube.com forward slash Cash Geeks Network, um, as well as all of our other videos. And we've been running the show for probably well over two years now. So there's yeah, tons yeah. of episodes and lots of, of uh, information about real estate and especially wholesaling. So once again, guys, I'm Dom. And I'm G. And guys, this is the Cash Geeks Network, and we appreciate you. And thanks again, Lee. See you guys.